Helmed by one of the world's most well-known names in horror and possibly cinema in general, Dario Argento's 1977 supernatural horror Suspiria is the absolute zenith of what one might call a cult classic. Despite not even being released in theaters in the States, Suspiria casts a spell on American audiences, finding new life in our homes, eventually becoming Argento's highest grossing film in the United States to this day on theatrical rental sales alone. Praised for its visual style, colorful flair, and graphic gore, this film would inspire many films to come, including its own reimagining, which hit theaters in the fall of 2008 to a polarizing response, but ultimately was deemed a box office disaster. Well, to that, I say, why is everyone so ready to think the worst is over? So if you came here for this, you've waited long enough. It's time to ask the question, Suspiria, what's it about? I'm your host, Ricardo Blade Diaz. And I'm Seth Crow. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. And today we have a very special guest. Seth, please do the honors. Yes, one of my best friends. We have uh, Dane Diamond here. He is an actor, a record producer, and a writer. Welcome, Dane. Glad to have you here today, man. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here, guys. Yes, <laughs> Dane, thank you so much to, to for joining us. We're so excited to have you. You brought us two movies, our first double feature in a way. Yeah. <laughs> We're very excited. <laughs> Uh, we'll get into that in just a little bit, but Dane, uh, I would love to for the people to get to know a little bit more about about you. Um, sure. So yeah, you're uh, uh, a pro- record producer. You're an actor. You're a writer. What kind of brought you to the creative arts, as it were? Oh, okay. Yeah, great question. Uh, well, it's 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 in my family. Uh, I think this is the the short answer. So it the arts came to me. I was born into them. Uh, my dad is a uh, percussionist, uh, played with Neil Diamond from, what, 76 or so to uh, just recently, just recently until Neil stopped uh, touring. Uh, he retired. Uh, he also is on every Motown record you've ever heard that was recorded uh, on the West Side. Uh, so he played with Diana Ross, Jackson 5, Smokey Robinson, and even outside of that, you know, he played with uh, Ringo Starr and... Uh, Carol King. Um, so there was that side. And my mom was a model. Uh, my parents split when I was about three. My stepdad comes into the picture. I'm about four or five. And uh, all of a sudden, my mom say, oh, watch this because your stepdad's in it. Watch this because your stepdad's in it. And he's doing stuff on stage. And I, I'm like, what is this? What is, what is he doing? She said, oh, he, he's an actor. I'm like, oh, OK. And Acting was so foreign to me, but it wasn't until I was about 15, 16 that I stumbled onto the stage myself. Um, I was a child actor, too, but I didn't know what I was doing. I could literally go into auditions and they'd say, it says here you can dance like Michael Jackson. Can you show us? And I'd be like, no. Uh, so I, I just, I, I'm like, why are, these, why are these old white people asking me to do stuff? I don't feel safe. Um, so that was kind of like where I was as a little boy, <laughs> but, uh, eventually I found out what acting was and, uh, I was like, oh, I, I can do this. I'm, I'm good. I can do it. 
And, and then the writing was just always there. I think everybody in my family has written at some point. And uh, I just loved stories. And so I was like, I want to create stories. And then um, I kept doing that and wrote my first novel two years ago and wrote a follow-up novel after that and then wrote a manifesto. And so now I'm just like, all right, now let's, let's get it published. But, uh, you know, that's kind of long and short of it, I guess. That's awesome. Like what an awesome history and like way to grow up, like being surrounded by art. That's like so cool. Um, my dad's also a musician. So like I grew up around a lot of music, but none of my family is into like acting or anything like that. So that I'm like the first one that's like going into that stuff. So like I, to be like, yeah, yeah, to, <laughs> to be like, a, man, you've been in it a long time, but I have a quick question. And I, Cause I, I actually had an argument. I think, was it with you, Seth, or maybe it was somebody else? What is a manifesto? Like what exactly is a manifesto as opposed to like a, an autobiography? I don't oh, know. Okay. What? It was not me. Okay, if it was somebody else. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I talk to uh, other people sometimes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think, to, to me at least, uh, a manifesto is a statement uh, that is on your mind. And it probably is spe- specific to a particular time period. Um, that's how I look at it. So... For me, my manifesto is my statement, my my thoughts on love, race, and politics in America. As a uh, as a black man, you know, age thirty nine, living in this time, so part of the the Anna Digital area or uh, mm-hmm. a generation. Uh, so that's how I look at it, because you know, I think I. I'm too young to write a memoir. You know, I, there's nothing to look back on just yet. And I know that other people younger than me have written memoirs. And I think that's, that's kind of funny. But <laughs> it's like, now this isn't a, a, mem- a memoir. There are things I can recount, but I'm not there yet. And, and in terms of an autobiography, um, I do believe you need to have a certain type of stature <laughs> to, to have an autobiography. Like, nobody knows who I am uh, yet. Uh, so there's no, no need for that. And, you know, I'm still a young guy and um, yeah, so that's, that's how I look at it. Almost in a sense, an essay, but with maybe a little bit more flair to it. An essay is like, awesome. you know, James Baldwin was the yeah. <laughs> king of essays. Um, yes, yes. Um, but just kind of, you know, he, he killed everything else too. But so the, I, I guess that's, that's, that's my feeling on it. Yeah. Okay. So anybody can write a manifesto, but you gotta you yeah. gotta be special to get an autobiography. An autobiography. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm not special enough yet. <laughs> You'll get it's there. Your, it's like your personal philosophy on something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you think about it, absolutely. About it, we all can write books. Like there's there's some topic that you love. And if you take away Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all those things that people have dumped all of their thoughts onto and once in a while dump something that is probably somewhat poignant or at least very funny, you take all that away and you're back in the 60s, well, then you collect those thoughts into a journal. Then all of a sudden that journal is a book. And that's how a lot of books, I think, probably were written. I don't think a lot of people know that they can be writers today because they get maybe lazy because of everything else around them and the need for instant gratification. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, good. Yeah. That's a good point. 
<laughs> Speaking of instant gratification, <laughs> let's talk about Suspiria. <laughs> so, so Dane, you you brought us Suspiria today, uh, and yes. you asked us uh, to do the the new one, the two the twenty eighteen uh, kind of homage. However, you you prefaced it by saying it might be also a good idea to watch the original too. So this is kind of our first yeah. double feature that we may be getting into today, where we're going to talk a little bit about both, probably doing a little bit of a comparison. Uh, especially thematically, nice. but uh, why did you pick Suspiria? Why did you want to bring this to us? And what is Suspiria kind of a, uh, what has been your experience with Suspiria throughout your life? Uh, well, I thought Suspiria would be fun and, and, and also unexpected. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like going against type. And so I know the, <laughs> the Seth sent me a text and was like, Hey, you want to come and talk about get out? And so my thought was like, okay, like it's Seth, so this sounds cool. Let me let me check my schedule. Mm-hmm. And then my other thought was like, if this was anybody else, I'd be like, why well, I gotta do the black movie? And then like I also thought to myself, well, I sh- I should probably get used to that too because you know pretty mm-hmm. pretty soon I'll be somewhat recognizable. Um, I'm not saying you know superstar level, but somewhat recognizable. And if I get more press or more interviews or whatnot i will get asked questions or i will get asked you know the black questions sometimes and that's what happens mm-hmm. when you're you're you're, you're a black artist so I, th- I thought it could be a learning experience too so i wasn't i didn't take any offense to it and then seth i'm guessing you had a conversation with sarah sarah's like why does he have to do get out <laughs> so he said, <laughs> and so wow he you uh Okay, behind the scenes here, we're we're going into it. So this is what had happened was, so we were no no we were so Nope is coming out soon, and so we really wanted to to do get out, and then we had a thought of like maybe it's not quite appropriate for me and him to just get out without any type of representation, right? Sure, maybe that that could be that could feel wrong in a way Weird. yeah i mean yeah. Of, of all movies you know yeah. it feels very wrong and sure, so sure. you're my best so i was like i'm just gonna ask my best for one of my best friends you know mm-hmm. but yeah. then you nailed it sarah was like dane's not gonna like that like <laughs> she was like it's not gonna like that and i was like oh yeah you're probably right you're probably right and i was like well I don't know how to retcon this situation. <laughs> so I was like, well, let's just do something else. Let's just do something else. So that's yeah, what happened. Yeah. It's a weird, it's, it's tricky. It's a kind of tricky. Uh, it's a little tricky to figure that kind of stuff out right now. You know? Yeah. It was uh, all the best intentions, but you, we, we understand that that was, you know, maybe not the best way to go about it. Um, no, and no, I, we're I trying to learn too. That's why I didn't, yeah. I understood that. And I, that's why I didn't take any offense to it, you know, cause I think too, it's easy to take offense when someone is trying to do something correct. You know what I mean? Like uh, you can ask any husband in America how many times uh, his wife has taken offense when he was just trying to help. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or just try to get a, 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 a better picture, or, you know? Uh, so that's why I had to take my moment and be like, well, okay, you know, this is, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't take offense to it. Maybe this is the situation. And that's why I didn't say like, I didn't blow up at Seth. You know, I was just like, yeah, let me just check my schedule. And then and then I got the other text and I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Well, let's do that since you offered it. Um, yeah. But it still wasn't like, 
yeah, I, I'm definitely available now. It's like, no, I still get a <laughs> like it was, you know, it wasn't a lie. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know what, honest, in all, gen, in all honesty, like people have talked about get out to death. Like, let's be honest, mm-hmm. especially recently. <laughs> like, when's the last time anyone's talked about Suspiria? <laughs> so, yeah, like, I, thought. I, thought, I was like, why no one talks about this very polarizing uh, effort? Um, and uh, I was like, yeah, let's let's talk about that. Because obviously, I it's one of my favorite films. It's in, it's in my top three: uh, oh, Halloween, wow. Godfather Part Two, and Suspiria Twenty Eighteen. I've seen, Whoa. I saw it like five times in the uh, in the theaters. Um, and I oh, watched it. <laughs> yeah, and I watch it regularly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, I think the last three times it was just me. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, I, I gotta theater. say, I gotta say, I'm stoked that we did this. Uh, be, like get out whatever like these movies are some of the best movies i've seen in a really long time and we're watching a lot of movies lately yeah and uh i i'm like i was blown away by both films um i i uh as we get into it uh i i don't know i don't know which one i like better honestly yeah i i have a kind of I, I I might be a little biased towards the original, sure. Which, sure. Uh, but we we can talk about that. But I, I'm, I was I was really stoked that we mm. we did these movies. Nice. They offer different nice. things. They yeah. do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I um, you know, I guess I'll start with the remake, um, because that was the first one that I saw in its entirety, okay. and. Uh, I do believe, though, hold on, let me, let me go back. you know what, I think before I saw the remake, I did watch the original one again, because I saw it when I was little, like little bits and pieces of it. And what I remember from the original one are the colors, uh, the shrieks, the uh, the music, and the bright red blood is, is kind of what I remember. And then there was there were some very um, prominent, like famous scenes of, of death. In that film um and then when i saw the the remake it it was none of that <laughs> and i think what i truly love about the 2018 version of uh suspiria is it's not so much a, a horror movie as it is a drama with horrific moments mm-hmm. um there are no American beats in that film. And maybe I'm just kind of tired, even though, you know, I'll go on record saying America makes the best movies in the world. And when I say movies, I have to put on my elitist hat, my elitist hat and specify the difference between film and, and movies, right? So movies like Terminator 2, so good, so perfect that it, in, it, in its way, it is a film. And it is independent. A lot of people don't know that. James made that all by himself. Um, and, and Mario Kassar. But, um, you know, America p- puts its foot down and it's like, this is, this is how we do it and this is why other people want to do what we do. Now, when we talk about film, yeah, of course, there, there are parasites out there. You know what I mean? They, you've got so many different filmmakers in the world that are just incredible and Luca Guadagnino is one of them. But the, so to set the stage, you know, I was unfamiliar with Luca Guadagnino until I saw um, Call Me By Your Name. And when I saw Call Me By Your Name, I thought to myself, 
this is my favorite movie this year. This is my favorite film this year. And it's, uh, it's breathtaking. It's beautiful. Um, it's near and dear to me uh, because I am a, a huge ally to the LGBTQ community uh, and, and supporter um, being that I was raised by a lot of gay men. <laughs> uh, you know, my mom being a model uh, and a makeup artist, um, there were a lot of gay men in her world and subsequently mine as a child. So um, that was always there. And being that I had a mom, that a world treated unfairly, being that I'm black, that the world treats unfairly, I, I saw that group and thought, oh, you're being untreated fairly too. So bigotry is just not something that is allowed in my sphere at all. I don't care uh, who you are, you deserve respect and equality. Um, and I think that's why it resonated with me so much. They go to the Oscars and, you know, they're, they're such a, a hit. I think they won Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, then I'm reading the trades and I see Luca Guadagnino uh, is set to direct his next film, Suspiria. And I thought to myself, whoa, that's, that's very interesting. He just went from doing this hard-hitting drama and now he's going to do a remake of Dario Argento's, uh, you know, a Giallo, um, Suspiria. And I'm like, whoa, what's this, what's this going to be like? So when I saw the film, I remember within first the first five minutes, I, I can always tell what kind of ride we're going on. And I'm going to stop in a, in a little bit because I want to get you guys thoughts. But um, immediately, it was the texture of the film that brought me in. And what I mean by texture is uh, Robert De Niro once said in an interview for Esquire, uh, when you start cheating and yourself uh, with with your film or your performance, and this is this part's paraphrased, um, or start taking shortcuts and removing details, that's when you lose the finer things. That's when you lose the texture. And Suspiria does not do that. It is chock full of details and minor things and moments and texture, not only from the big, elements the writing the direction acting but it's in in the cinematography but it's it's in the little shots it's it's in the what that's annie huh <laughs> it's in the little shots it's in uh what the camera decides to show and what and what it doesn't show it and and how it shows it it's it's uh it's in the moments that a character doesn't say something but the music says it for them or the silence says it for them. Um, so that first opening scene with Chloe Grace Moritz, and I don't know if you guys caught this, but Tilda Swinton as mm -hmm. Dr. Kempler, um, I was just, I don't know, I, I was immediately transported. And 60 minutes in, I was like, I, I'm in love with this film. And then by the end of the film, I just thought to myself, I need to double check and I need to see this again to make sure it's that good. And that's what I do when, when a movie like hits me and knocks, knocks my socks off before I open my mouth. Uh, I'm a hopeless romantic. So I'm like, let me double check. <laughs> <laughs> and I double checked and I triple checked and I quadruple checked. And, and yeah, every time I watch this film, there's a new element, something that I uncover. Um, so that'd be my first statement, an overall statement about it.
Awesome. Thank <laughs> you so much for sharing, Dane. Yeah. Uh, Seth, what about you? What was your experience with these two movies, man? Uh, well, okay. Um, so I watched the 1977 first because I felt like, you know, it made sense to do that. Um, and I didn't know anything. I had no – all I knew that there was something about dance. That's all I knew, you know, uh, going in. And I'm not kidding – when I started the 1977 one, first 10 minutes, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, I was like, I have no idea what this movie is. And it like, and it honestly, like, it's weird because now that I've seen the new one, I have totally different feelings about both films. Um, I, I loved, but maybe it was because I was exposed to the world for, through via the first one. Uh, that I, it, it hit me different. I don't know. Um, but the 1977 one lands on me like The Shining. So, like, it's it definitely falls into the same kind of category. Like, The Shining is one of my favorite movies of all time. And the tones in the 1977, like, are weird as shit and, and like, tap into horror in a way that only I have ever seen in The Shining, right? And it has to do with just like the way it's shot, the visuals, the sounds, like it, it gets in your body viscerally without having to do much, you know, which I find fascinating like and, and very cool. Um, however, in comparison, if I talk about the 28, the 2018 version, it also blew my face off, um, but in a totally different way. Um, like... The immersion in like the immersion into the world is totally different. You know, it's like the original is like more of a reveal, whereas the new one is more of like you're saturated in the world of witches, and and that itself is just bone chilling and and like and thrilling. You know, and it's like you're getting to like really immerse yourself into what it feels like the occult and and what it likes, what it's like to be in that world. And I think they did a great job of, of building that world and letting you experience the world viscerally. Um, and the dance stuff in the 2018 version is probably my favorite thing. Like the movement, the movement in the movie, like this is, I love to dance. It's like one of my favorite things to do in the world. Not a lot of people know that, but, I love it. And I've never thought about dance as a way to manipulate energy and people, uh, like through Matt, like, so like, like we'll get into it, we'll get into it, but yeah. So like very, I, I love both movies. I can't, it's hard for me to pick which one I like the best. I think, I think I'll say this. I think as a film, I like the original, but I find the new one much more horrifying. I think it's a better horror movie. Oh wow, interesting. Um, yeah, but I'm I'm horrified of I'm horrified of witches. Like, yeah, this hits one, a, this this hits a button for like, him for sure. Like, I I don't know. Like, if I was raised by a bunch of ants, um, uh-huh. and and they have this kind of coven energy, and it's like, I I I, I can talk about that later too, but. <laughs> yeah, it just it hits it hits home. This this movie yeah. hits home for me. 
All right. Thanks wow. so much for saying that. Uh, so for me, uh, being a pretty big horror buff, I actually, I, I'd never seen the original Suspiria all the way through uninterrupted. I've seen so many different clips from it. I've seen lots of like analysis of it and things like that. So, but I've never actually watched it all the way through. So yeah, like mm-hmm. Seth, I was like, I'll watch the original first. Cause I, again, that makes sense. Like lay the groundwork of like what the reimagining is. Um, right. and I totally agree. Like I was very caught off guard, but like, the style of storytelling is completely different. Uh, and the colors were beautiful and like the like way that they shot things and they like lingered on stuff for a really long time. Like that, like moments were really stretched out to really, like you said, Seth, viscerally affect you as opposed to analytically, which comes I think a little bit later, it's the music, it's the visuals, it's the color. It like sets you in that thing and you just feel dread watching that that's 1977 suspiria which that isn't like scary per se but like dread is a completely different shade of emotion where i then watched the the 2018 version and i definitely felt there was a there was a bigger narrative there and so you're right i think there was some more horrifying things that you see them do in the in the new one in the in the in the 1977 one you kind of see some kind of gr- gross stuff like the maggots and you see like you see like some things that are a little bit like horrific and scary but for the most part it, it is it is more shocking than anything um and like oh uh but this one like gets into like the really darkness of a lot of this stuff the actual like really grossness of a lot of this <laughs> which i like what do I, I like i liked it a lot i like i liked it a lot i thought it was really really cool yeah um and uh we'll get into what uh my uh analysis of it is but i'm very happy because this was on my list this 2018 suspiria has been on my like watch list for a long time you know how you have your watch list and sometimes it's just hard to like get around to certain stuff and i'm so so glad you came in you're like what's your superior i was like man i've been wanting to watch this for a while let's get into it and so i'm excited that we're gonna get to talk about it uh but before we get into what we think this movie is about we have to Mm -hmm. talk about how it came to be first uh so we're gonna get Mm -hmm. a little film history here um so the original suspiria was uh directed and written by dario argento uh he has directed nearly 40 other films uh, mostly in his native italian um uh even uh, to this present day, he's still making movies uh, with the release of Dark Glasses yep. this past year. Um, so he's still going, Dario Argento. He's still in the game. Uh, and then the 2018 version was uh, directed by Luca Guadagnino, uh, who also directed the protagonist, Melissa P., I Am Love, A Bigger Splash, Call Me By Your Name, Beckett, and the upcoming Bones and All, which is due out this November. The film was written by, again, Argento and his wife at the time, Daria Nicolodi. Uh, Nicolodi was married to Argento at the time of the filming and when this film was being made. She's also written for Inferno, which is another Argento movie, and Paganini Horror, but she's more known as an actress. And the writer of the 2018 Suspiria is David Kajinsky. Uh, ooh, hold on. I, ha- I practiced this earlier and I had it. Yeah, Kaj- yeah. David Kajulich. Yeah, yeah. Kajanich, <laughs> uh, who Kajilich. also wrote <laughs> Kajilich, yeah, 
Good job. <laughs> uh, uh, who also wrote The Invasion, Blood Creek, A True Story, A Bigger Splash, uh, The Terror, and Bones and All, which he's also uh, two of the three of those movies have been uh, also with Guadagnino. Uh, so after for Argento to go all the way back to the genesis of the original Suspiria, uh, after reading a collection of essays written by Thomas de Quincey in the mid 1840s, known as Suspiria de Profundis, uh, Argento became fascinated with the idea of these three mothers, which are these three witches um, in these uh, stories uh, that uh, Quincy presented during a trip through what, Argento calls the magical triangle, which is a particular point where Germany, France, and Switzerland all meet. Argento became further inspired by a history of occult activities in the area. Uh, and so he imagined that these three mothers would rule over different cities within the triangle. Uh, and that would later he would go on to adapt that idea and concept into the spiritual trilogy of films that would include Suspiria, Inferno, and Mother of Tears, each one focusing on a different one of the three mothers. Uh, of course, uh, Suspiria being Mother's uh, Suspirarium. Uh, joined in the writing process by his wife, uh, the screenplay for the film would take influences from things such as old folk tales, Pinocchio, and Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Argento's signature style and emphasis on grotesque gore would make the film a hard sell for more conservative American audiences. However, 20th Century Fox took a chance and acquired the film for U.S. distribution, but not before cutting eight minutes from the film to avoid a, the dreaded NC-17 rating in favor of an R. Uh, upon its release for home rental, Suspiria would completely blow up grossing nearly $2 million on home rentals, making it Fox's seventh highest grossing rental of the year and securing it as a spot as Argento's number one grossing film in America, even to this day. People called the movie visually stunning and colorful, but not for the squeamish. They also praised the film's score, which was done by progressive rock band Goblin. And then from then on, the film solidified itself as a bona fide cult classic. Over the years, there were a few attempts to revive the property, most notably uh, a 2008 adaptation by David Gordon Green of Pineapple Express and Halloween fame, even having Natalie Portman attached for a time to revive the role of Susie Banyan. But a hostile response from fans and even from Argento himself would put the brakes on that adaptation, and by 2014, the film was shelved completely. However, a producer on that film... Luca Guadagnino would remain close by. And in September of 2015, Guadagnino announced that he was working on adapting a new version of the film himself, using much of the cast from his previous film, A Bigger Splash, including Swinton and Johnson. While not a direct remake, Guadagnino's homage to Argento's original did hit theaters in 2018, and while reviews were mostly positive, the film was ultimately divisive, only grossing $7 million on a $20 million budget. So whether you're a fan of the original or you're before Guadagnino's more modern take, neither of these movies are ever mute. They both have a lot to say. So that is the history of these two movies. That's how they came to be. So for people at home who are watching along or who didn't watch along and didn't watch Asperia with us, here's just a quick reminder of what this movie is as far as its plot, its story setup. Uh, and then we will get into what we think it's about. So this is what the movie is. A young American dancer finds herself in a European dance company that turns out to be a coven 
of witches. That is what this film is. But what is it about? That's the question. Seth, please ask our guests the titular question. Monsieur Dane Diamond. <laughs> Suspiria. What's it about? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, oh gosh. That's such a, a wonderful question. I want to be succinct, but then I also want to just kind of go off on <laughs> all of, I don't know, the the subjects and, and the topics that, that are of, of importance to me. Important to me. I think the succinct, uh, one of the succinct versions would be, um, I guess, being true <laughs> in terms of uh, the 2018 version, because I don't know who has seen it or who, who hasn't, but, um, you know, don't be an imposter. Um, that's one thing I can think of. One of the things that I love about the film is uh, that it is about women governing themselves. Uh, I like the backdrop of the war, which a lot of people, um, I think, um, I don't, I don't want to say this in a, in a offensive way. I think a lot of casual viewers had a problem with that and attributed, you can attribute some of the lack of the positive response from uh, um, casual moviegoers to the running time. Um, the our current movie generation is not a fan of uh, you know three hour epics like mm. <laughs> which was normal in the sixties and the seventies maybe some sometimes in the eighties um, especially for this remake but I, I love the fact that it is uh, about women governing themselves who aren't necessarily bad or good um, they're just doing what they have to do so when I watch the film I don't there are moments of like, oh, like they're powerful and they can do this and it's uneasy and oh, they're talking in their bedroom and, and we cut to the hallway and we hear their voices. Does that mean somebody's listening? I don't hear foot creaks, you know, things like that, where in an American version, yes, you would see the silhouette of somebody. You would hear foot creaks. You would know for concrete, for sure, somebody's listening. But in a film that is made by a European who, who it, it seems, seems to be going off of emotion and expression and, and atmosphere. Um, I like that you don't get the, get those things that uh, you would normally get in an American film. Um, and with the, with the war serving as a backdrop, there is this kind of, to me, this subtle nudge of like, here are men uh, out there playing with their bombs and their guns and their political devices. And here we are, us women, uh, powerful, and nobody knows how powerful we are except us, and we're governing ourselves. Um, and so I think, the, for, for me, that's what Suspiria was about, uh, the quiet power uh, that, that women uh, possess. Um, and then as men, we kind of look on the outside as like, wow, why are they always fighting? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I don't know. Like, you could take it to like to that to that level too. Uh, you know, we we see women beefing all the time, and so Suspiria is almost an enhanced version of that. Um, but yeah, this film is men serve no purpose in this film, and it does, and it's not forced. 
you know, people forget Suspiria already existed. So that mm. thought is not a new one. In the original Suspiria, the two, I think there are two cops that get involved at one point or another. And I remember a scene, uh, again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but uh, a scene involving those cops and some very uh, aggressive dogs. Uh, and then on the flip side, in this version, we have two detectives. And instead of aggressive dogs, we get um, women laughing at them for uh, anatom anatomical <laughs> reasons. Um, but that's all that men serve in this world, in both the original and, and, and the remake, um, just auxiliary com components. Um, but it's, it's about the women, even down to Dr. Kempler, who is a man, but is played by Tilda Swinton. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that so I don't go off on a rant. Um, just a heads up, Dan. We, we, we throw out, like, spoilers. We, we kind of just say, spoiler alert, you're going to get spoilers on this guy because it's it kind of uh, impossible not to if we're going to really dive in. So uh, feel free to rant and, and, okay. and, and spoil as much as you want. Basically. This is a spoiler heavy podcast. We don't hold anything back. This is not about <laughs> this, this podcast is not about talking about the film. It's a, it's a it, well, it is, but it's it's more about yeah, yeah. talking ab about what the film is How about. The film affects us. Yes, yes, yeah. And so you can't okay. you can't really do that without going into what happens in the movie. So we are yes. full spoilers here on this show always. One thing I was think talking about in terms of like. Um, well, you know, not giving away any spoilers, but fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Susie is Suspiria. Uh, and I love that she comes in here and is just like, the, the question that she asked Mother Marcos, for whom were you anointed? And she says, uh, <laughs> I'm talking about Marcos, Suspiriorum. And Dakota said, or uh, Susie says, I am she. And <laughs> such a great moment. moment. Such yeah. a great moment um, in the movie. I am she. It's so good. Ah. Yes. So I'm like, okay, don't be an imposter. Um, and I don't know if you guys caught this, but, but when Susie, so two things. Susie has a twin. I didn't know about that until I was doing some extra reading. On, on the film, and Dakota Johnson confirmed that in an interview. But when you watch the opening uh, scene, well, the second opening scene uh, that happens over the credits, opening credits, uh, you see Susie's twins, a twin. Her face is cast in shadows, and then a lot of times you'll see her in the background, uh, like closing a door or something like that, or a, a window. Um, and I thought that was really cool. The, the, one, the, the one scene that's playing over uh, uh, Suspiriorum, or Suspirium by Tom York, which is one, one of the best songs I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, and so that's that. But then on, on, the other, on the other spectrum, this film is about women governing themselves uh, uh, with no need for any outside influence. And I love the fact that the, the war serves as a backdrop. Um, and I do believe that many casual moviegoers and i don't mean that in a, in a bad way but you know people that want to see a movie or a good movie um or film whatever however they deem it um you know the the the, the first rule as a very close friend of mine says is uh, you have to entertain your audience entertaining it, entertainment is subjective 
I think a lot of people who are based, who are um, used to American beats were not entertained. Uh, I think that was a long and short answer of why I didn't do too well here in the States. Mm -hmm. And then across the seas, uh, loyalty to the first and loyalty to Luke, uh, to uh, Dario. Um, mm. So that kind of put this film at a, at a stale point across crossroads. However, uh, I remember in the first, the, the original two cops, I believe, that are viciously mauled by uh, some aggressive dogs, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Um, and then in the new Suspiria 2018, there are two, two detectives who uh, are put under a spell uh, by the witches, and one of them uh, is laughed at for his anatomy. Um, and, that, and that was all that happened to them. But, but in both cases, there's no, from what I remember, yeah, there's no cop or dude coming in to save the day, mm -hmm. which is uh, one of the things that I love about horror. It's horror, uh, horror and the genre itself, you know, it does go under attack uh, sometimes from people who are, uh, and rightly so, because, you know, there's a lot of explo exploitation that happens in, in horror, not not these films, I, I was I would argue, but in general. Uh, but on the flip side, horror has always been uh, the place where women reign supreme. Where yeah, you're gonna have in some films like Jason or Freddy, like women running around with their tops off. Um, and in that in those cases, I say hell yeah, there's too much exploitation. But always, and on the flip side of that, the the heroine is uh, is uh, or the protagonist is is a woman which I've always loved in, in this genre. And Suspiria is no different in, in that regard, except that in my, in my opinion, 2018 is not, 2018 Suspiria isn't a horror film so much as it is drama with horrific mm. elements. Um, so yeah, I think to me, it's, it's about women governing themselves, the quiet power that women possess amidst the war of men when men are out there brandishing their guns and their ego and their muscles and their macho and we're ba 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 women can be right under their noses uh, managing such colossal moments uh, with their own colossal power. Uh, mm. So it's yeah. ironic. I'll, 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 it's, yeah. it's ironic because we've, we've kind of had a, a similar discussion recently uh about we just watched hustlers uh for the podcast oh, yeah. and uh <laughs> very very similar themes from your perspective uh coming from there so that's interesting i was just gonna say the same thing seth we 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 nice. talked about uh of that very a very similar idea of that of like the power that women can hold sometimes underneath um underneath kind of men's noses in a lot of ways and hustlers was a more like you know, kind of true crime, uh, comedy drama that, that mm -hmm. kind of took that same idea, but compared it to wall street instead of to, you know, uh, the civil war in Germany, you know? Um, right. um, so that, I love that both of those films that are talking about like gender politics and, 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 um, specifically fe feminine power with to the, always comparing to the backdrops of male dominated, 
uh, spheres, uh, whether that's war and the military, um, political, actual political power, or whether that's, you know, Wall Street. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's weird. It's weird that these themes are kind of being gleaned. Like, we, we, we seem to be having, like, common threads of conversations uh, mm-hmm. uh cool. <laughs> in our in our in our in these conversations so that's that is neat ricky what do you uh what's your what's your uh take on it man what do you think this is about what what what's my glean what's my glean yeah, that's, that's your, our new term your, our new term what is it uh gl- our, our uh glean theme glean theme, me, theme glean that, that's what it is what's the our theme, theme glean, glean? uh what's my theme glean um i think both this is present in both films so that kind of this is where i kind of boiled it down to but there are definitely so many other elements that like are like related to this but this is like the idea that i felt and it's the the parasitism of manipulation in the name of ego Mm. so so it's there is power. This is definitely power. And this is a lot about feminine power. And specifically the 2018 version even gets into like motherhood a little bit. There's a lot of like ideas of like the mother being yeah. the matron and having the power. And it's the matron's duty to govern benevolently, or at least with the best interests of, of the family in mind, as opposed to self-interest. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this film does a great job of showing that, but in a lot of ways, like this idea of like, this film is so much about manipulation, how, how people are magically manipulated, emotionally manipulated, mentally manipulated, uh, even physically manipulated. Um, and manipulation, I was just going to say, damn it, dude. Love and manipulation are usually same bedfellows. <laughs> they, 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 share, they, they share houses. They share, they share houses. houses. They are frequent bedfellows. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, it's true. The, like, the line of like, and we see this, I think, the most in Madame Blanc's character in this re- most recent one. I love what they did with, and how they, he changed her character. He completely reimagined her role. Where in the original yeah. 77, she was kind of just straight up like malevolent you know she was she was evil she was in it for you know for serving mother marcus uh in the original and this one it's so much more you're not sure what blanc's full motivations are like what she would do she took over the coven you don't really know but yeah you know that she doesn't agree with what helena marcus is doing that's right Um, yeah and so she's opposed in some way we don't know exactly what way but yeah. What's really cool is that, like, yeah, there manipulation in itself is. I think m- most people look at it pretty negatively, and it's not usually great when you're trying to get somebody to do something without them realizing. It's not great, but it is a tool, and it doesn't always mm-hmm. have to be a tool for bad. You know, like trying to subtly get somebody to do the right thing can also be a good form of manipulation. You know, or you know, yeah. it's a tool that everybody uses, and it doesn't necessarily have to be evil. Um, governing yeah, but, is the same thing as manipulation, right? I mean, gov- like if you're yeah. governing something, you're manipulating it. So exactly. And so I think once you start manipulating in the name of your own self-interest, in the name of your ego, in the name of your own benefit, that's when yeah. you become a, a parasite. Um, and that's when things go, go wrong. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, 
the, yeah, and, and governing themselves. And so that I love I love that you talked about manipulation like that, because I, I feel that it's what Suspiria's um, motive is in deeming who is saved and who is not. Um, right. Because even. um Oh wow! I can't I, I can't believe I forgot her uh, her name, but Madame Blanc's uh, right hand woman, uh, uh, Tanner, Miss Tanner, Tanner. That's right. Uh, Tanner voted for Marcus, from what I remember, but is spared um, in the in the ending, and she's the only one that's spared by by death, who works for Suspiria. And mm. I always thought to myself, she was spared because Tanner's. As we see, Tanner loved Marcus, oh, and yeah. it was it had nothing to do with fear or blindly following, but it was an innate belief that she had in, I I, I think what they what they stood for, and mm-hmm. she fell for it, um, but that's not her fault. Um, and one of the, the the best scenes, actually, this made me m- more uncomfortable than I than I think I have ever been, and like. 10 years in a film but when olga meets her demise Oof. uh <laughs> that's incredible that, now, that scene it's an amazing scene yeah the, the most amazing scenes i've ever seen like yeah when when i saw that i was like that type of tension i could not describe like i have not and i've seen so many scary movies like thoughtfully scary movies you know not not uh gore Gororama type films um, for no reason, but like films where it's like, oh, this can unnerve you and this is really disturbing and this is really scary. So that scene, when I saw that, I was like, man, the, the thought of being controlled by another person through dance in a room that is just ultimately just going to destroy you. There's no no, no machetes, no silver, no scissors, no spikes, no meat grinders. It's just a room. And if if Susie moves one way and you're next to a wall, well, then your body is going to keep moving, even though it's against the wall. And I just love that shot you see of Olga's jaw as it's like slowly dislocating from her face. Oof. But in that scene, I think you can argue that by then Susie may or may not have known that she is Suspiria, but knew for a fact that she was supposed to be there and that she possessed, she knew when she was being manipulated. And I got to so get something. Madame Blanc. Yeah. I, I got to get something straight. Cause I'm, I was looking, you said, you said death who is controlled by Suspiria. Here's what mm-hmm. I understood. And I, I just wanted to like figure out if I'm wrong or, or if we're getting confused. So what I thought happened was so, so Susie becomes this vessel right? Like she chooses that she is to become this vessel. Marcus thinks that she is the one that is going to be able to inhabit Susie. So here's the clarification. I, this is what I understood as the last ritual and what was happening. Okay. And if I'm okay. off, somebody, somebody stop me. Okay. So they have to do this dance which will allow another witch to possess a vessel in order for them to keep their youth and maintain their life, right? The vessel being Susie Banyan 
has to do it willingly and has to be completely committed to it. Right. Like has to, has to truthfully want to give up her soul to become the best. Right. So she goes, mother Marcos thinks that who, who claims that she is mother Suspirium, which is a lie claims that. So she thinks she is the one that's going to receive this vessel. Right. But in the last moment, in the ninth, in in the bottom of the ninth, just like in League of Their Own, sorry, uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) in the bottom of the ninth, what happens is they actually, so this is, you said death, but what I thought was happening was Mother Suspirium actually was summoned and she comes kills everybody that supported mother Marcos for being a liar. And then she possesses Susie Banyan once she opens her chest. So that's what I, that's what I thought was happening was mm. what we saw. What we saw was mother Suspirium being manifested in her ancient form coming, killing, and then possessing. Oh, okay. Okay. Hmm. Um, well, I like that take on it. I think it's it's I believe it's slightly different in that for, for two reasons. Uh the the woman that played uh Susie's mother, uh dying mother in in the beginning and, and, and comes in through some flashbacks and whatnot, is also credited as death. And that particular woman, I believe does some type of bodywork in addition to acting and bodywork meaning uh, uh, contortion or dancing or whatever. And so who she is playing is, is credited as death and, and death is the, the person that is walking okay. along. Yeah. And then the other thing is Suspiria, uh, Su- Suspiria uh, Susie says, I am she. So she was already, uh, Suspiria um, it, before death starts walking about um, and death does the bidding of Suspiria uh, and okay. then also when Susie first gets to the um, and this is I was talking about layers and textures every time you watch this film if you if you if you want to uh, you will notice different things it's like diving into a visual novel which David uh, Dave Kajinik I, or Kajinic, yeah, Kajinic, I believe has written several novels, usually in the, in the horror, in the horror uh, genre. But when she um, is about to enter the room, which is later used for uh, Olga's death, but her, her audition room, um, you see her underneath a marquee. And on the very top of the marquee, it says Marcus. And of course, Suspiria is right underneath uh, taking her place. And then you see her doing this thing with her chest and it looks like she's calming herself. But what, in my opinion, you know, what she's doing is appeasing some of the rage <laughs> that is already inside of her that is like ready to just take all these motherfuckers out. Um, but it's the same area in her chest that she opens up later uh, uh, during the ritual. And I only think this because of uh, just little nuggets that give you little hints and nods that 
Susie is not exactly who she says she is. The only thing, and I, and I love this about the film, is you can't, you can never be 100% certain. Um, and I like being able to go both ways about it. Because when you look at Susie in the beginning, her eyes are green. And they were green when she was a child. Uh, they're green when she gets there. She knows she's different. You know, she, she's drawn to this energy. So I believe that Suspiria was resurrected through this child that ended up in Ohio uh, and were the children of Mennonites. Um, or no, not Mennonites. Um, the Amish. The Amish. Does, talks about how the Amish extradited the Mennonites because they were becoming too liberal. Um, and so she shows up in Germany with the same green eyes. But by the end of the film, and I mean the very, very they're, end, her eyes are black. They're and dark. I'm about like the yeah. post-credit scene. Um, when she is fully Suspiria. So I do believe that there's this quiet awakening that's happening within her that begins right when she gets there. But when she steps off the train, did any of you guys notice in the very beginning when her mother takes her last last breath, um, when she walks off the train, there is a destination sign on her back left that says Suspiria. Suspiria. Yeah. 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 And it's like, oh! Luca was telling us right there, here she is. This mm. it's her. And so I, I love I love when directors and, and writers can can do like little things like that in the film. But um yeah, so that, I, that's I, why, I, why. Yeah, I kind of am more along the lines of where Dane says where I think that Suspiria, Mother Suspiria was like maybe not like fully manifested within Susie at the beginning of the film, but was like with her because like mm-hmm. something like something that we, we hear about Susie is that she's completely untrained right. you know, as a dancer. She has no dance training and yet she's that good. You know, like you don't, you don't get that good dancing in your living room, especially when your mother abuses you for any of that stuff like you don't get right. you don't get that good just like dancing in the the, the field you know what i mean yeah <laughs> like there is there is something within her that is inherent and like you see her we talk about we were talking about a little bit about power dynamics right we do see Susie, even though Susie comes in and we think that she's at this low level of like on the totem pole as far as like influence yeah immediately comes in and takes over right away Takes over, takes over to the point where she's like trying to like change Madame Blanc's dance choreography to a a choreography that's been in place for supposedly around 20 something years. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. So like, she's like, no, 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 this is wrong. And then Madame Blanc's like, like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Even then, I think you see, start to see Mother Suspirium starting to make her way out slowly throughout the film where Susie has way more control than I think we think she does. And I love that you brought up the, the Mennonites and the Amish and how she talks about that. Cause that is literally what's happening in this coven, right? Yeah. It's the, the, the Mennonites put off from the Amish or, or vice versa. I can't remember which one was which, but one group split right. off from the other. Cause they thought, they thought they were being too, too liberal they were be, they you know they didn't believe they thought they were going too far off the reservation basically right right um and so that's kind of what's happening in this coven where madame blanc is like i think madame uh helena marcus is going way off the rails here uh and yes. she's trying to to correct and you know is having trouble as there's kind of this division that's happening 
And I think, like you said, Dan, I think Mother Suspirium was coming in to prune the weeds a little bit, prune the garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 how I've always seen it. And that's such a great point with the the Amish and the Mennonites, because I, even though I I knew she talks about it, I knew her background, but but I didn't even think about that in terms of another form of foreshadowing uh, or mirroring mm-hmm. of what, what's actually happening. Because I I looked at the war for that. There's a scene right. where. Uh, who is it? I believe Sarah, and this is one of the coolest scenes. I had to watch it three or four times to understand exactly what Luca was trying to say, Luca Bagnamino was trying to say. But when Sarah goes to get Susie while she's at the hotel uh, staying Mm -hmm. for the night. Now, we know what happened to Sarah in the original version, uh, Mm -hmm. because in the original version, I don't think Patricia exists. Um, I think Sarah is. Uh, they they reference they reference Patricia, but she's never but she's never. That's right. But she's yeah. never seen on screen. And Sarah is the one who kind of goes off the rails and then ends up uh, dying, from what I remember, mm. in the hotel scene. So, but in this scene, um, get... actually, in the original, it was Patricia. It, Patricia dies at the beginning. Patricia is the oh, so one we... that falls through the falls through the roof yeah. oh, okay yeah. that's right that's right okay and so we sarah, get sarah sarah also dies because she like so okay so that's what i'm yeah. i'm getting confused with. sarah i remember sarah didn't make it oh it, 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 yeah pat hingle patricia hingle yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. she didn't make it as far as uh mia Miss patricia does in in mm. this one um oh and i love mia goth so much she's so good me too anyway, she's very yeah, good. so many cool scenes in this uh, but yeah, so Sarah goes to Susie and is like, I'm going to take you home. And Su- Susie's like, oh, you know, when you didn't call, blah, blah, blah. I had to get the, the room later. And while they're talking, there's a few things that I love that happen in this moment. Um, while they're talking, a bunch, a, a couple boys that we don't see walk past Sarah in the background and Susie sees the boys and then pulls Sarah away from the boys and closes the door. And to me, that's a very like motherly type of thing. Like, I don't want you being distracted. We don't need boys. It's a very like, no, no, this mm. is, let's stay focused. And although Sarah doesn't look at the boys, but it's Susie that looks at the boys and there is this quiet, like, I don't know, this motherly or it's like there's a threat and boom, takes her away. And then they're standing in front of the mirrors uh Susie's reflection you don't see but you see her clear focus Sarah is more muted in the clear focus but her reflection is as clear as day and to me that always meant you know after watching it over and over again I love the use of mirrors in film for for reasons yes it was like Susie is hiding something her reflection is not true um Mm. whereas Sarah it's is sweet and innocent and what she is showing you is exactly what you're getting um, mm. so there is this sense of uneasiness about, around Susie, like, you know, Sarah dies and well, eventually, but when, when she is looking for Patricia and finds Patricia down there Oof. in that horrific scene and, you know, her body is like decaying and then she stumbles across, across Marcus and she sees like baby hands, like sticking out of her, her body when I like that scene is just so, uh, scary and, and and just upsetting but when she's running through the hallways and um blanc open up 
opens the floor up and Mia Goth or uh, Sarah, you know, and ends up breaking her leg. Just that mm-hmm. whole sequence with the dance going on, uh, Blanc doing what she has to do from above ground, uh, Sarah running around, and then Susie, by that point, full on understanding everything that's happening, in my opinion. By that point, she is mm-hmm. Suspiria. Her eyes I'll say, open. I think to your point, uh, Dane, we see her at when the performance doesn't go all the way through. Yes. We see Susie look up at yes. Blanc with a tear in her eye. And I think her eyes are dark at that point. Oh, I think I noticed dark. that her eyes are have been darkened. Maybe not yeah. all the way black, but I think I remember being like, are her eyes different? Yeah. Um, at that she, point. Yeah. She has a scene where she's looking in the mirror earlier with the makeup and her eyes are just starkly, uh, vastly different. Uh, but mm. yes, when she looks up and the tear falls down, she knows exactly what happened to uh, to Sarah. And I, and I love that. Like she can feel it, you know, and mm. she starts controlling Sarah, but derails Sarah so that the ritual doesn't go through. Um, mm-hmm. all that, all that stuff is so beautiful. Uh, but yes, um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I stemmed off from, from, from the mirroring that you were talking about. And, and I think that that's what I'm, that just adds to my point about the layers and the texture of the film. Layered. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's stunning. It's stunning. It is. Seth, uh, we haven't gotten your, your interpretation of this film yet. Well, uh, Dane, when things crashed, I kind of mentioned to, uh, Ricky, like I've been processing these movies for like three days now. Awesome. And like, and like, it's all I've wanted to talk about. <laughs> like, it's all I've wanted to talk about is these movies. Um, yeah. to the point, like I've gone, I've, I've been, I've been home alone this week and I'll go to restaurants and I'll talk to the waiters and the bartenders. And I'm like, have you seen Suspiria? Have you seen Suspiria? I got to talk about this movie. Uh, because I'm process, like I, I, I've been processing it, and I, and I'm, I'm thankful for the clarification at the end. Um, I don't know. I, it gives me feelings. I have feelings about it. You're um, not allowed. Just kidding. I have feelings about it. I, I don't, there's a weird logic part of my brain that doesn't understand how the old, the super old lady isn't also Suspiria, but I guess it is. It could be death. That just seems a little, a little out of like left field to me. Um, especially the way the, the ritual is happening. Um, but that's, doesn't matter, I guess. Um, that's just like, that's, that's just writing structure. Um, but like, okay, let me do my best. Here we go, y'all. Uh, so from a, (laughs) what is it, Ricky? What? Let's go. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Let's go. So. Um, I'm going to, it's going to be hard for me to like verbalize, but I'm going to do, do the very best I can. So what we're talking about, I think what we're talking about here, so I can't not bring up 1977. I think 1977 has a much more clear message. Uh, and, and, um, it's basically power corrupts, like power corrupts. That's 1977. Uh, I'm sure we could find some other things, but it's pretty straightforward. Um, However, the new one is a lot more complicated. I think maybe a better way to say the new one is power is complicated. Um, power is um, not it, it, good and evil is very complicated in in 
structures of power. Um, and structures of power can kind of emerge from anywhere uh, as long as people are getting on the same page about stuff, you know? Um, and like, so we, 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 well, it depends on what we're talking about. Are we talking about politics? Are we talking about religion? Are we talking about family? Okay. So I can't not, um, I can't not start referencing myself immediately in, in terms of talking about this film, because if you've ever worked for a restaurant, or if you've ever worked for a small company, like there, even big companies doesn't, I worked at Apple too. And it was the same way. They're all cults. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whose house you live in. It's a cult, you know, like they've established ways of doing things and this is the way it is. And, and it's, it's eventually its own cult. And so when those cults get more and more powerful, they inevitably have to wield that power. You know, and it's like, how do they wield that power? And you can wield it benevolently or you can wield it corruptly. And it's difficult to not become corrupt. But like, I I think so. uh, I think one of the greatest things that this movie does is it shows the um, vulgarity or I guess I don't I got to use my words correctly here the destructive nature of governing like the um there's always there's for power to be powerful there's always got to be some destruction you know like like i mean to to make a like a pretty like visceral example in this it's like childbirth right like it's a really great uh, like women have to deal with menstruation every month and there can be like a, a, you know, societal, whatever aside, like when a woman becomes a woman at that age, it can be pretty in, an intense experience, you know what I mean? But it's also inevitably leading towards life. So it's like, there is this like viscerality, this somewhat destructive um, component to all also creation and, and power and governance. And I know I'm rambling. I know I'm saying a, a, a lot of crazy everywhere things right now, but I guess what I'm saying is, is that what's that? Somebody say something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm just saying, um, this movie really like hit me hard because I think I think groups of people and groups of people that come together and kind of have a, a, a similar goal, like whether it be a restaurant or a company, there's always these subtle subtle things that are going on uh, inevitably that is kind of not said. Uh, there's like uh, there's an undercurrent power that's not that's not um, stated, you know, like mm. you call it politics, you could call it whatever, but there's definitely like an emotional energy that a group of people collectively create. And that 
and that can become corrupt, you know, like, like, mm. I think if you're, if you're, if you're attaching it to the Nazis, you know what I mean? Like, like, I mean, I, I was just going to say that this film very directly, like compares the, the, uh, the abuse of this power and, 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 um, like this certain behavior of like beliefs and things like that, uh, and how people can be kind of manipulated emotionally uh, or or subconsciously into buying into somebody's dogma, right? I mean, that's what all cult cult structures are. There are literally ways that cult, cult leaders do this. They they first they make you feel special. They make you feel like you're you're elevated, right? They make you feel wanted and desired, and then. Once they they have you and they've ingratiated themselves to you, they start then to to make promises and and demonstrate and demonstrate the their abilities and their their what they can offer to those people. After making them feel special, this is what I can offer to you. Um, and then they get them on board, and then eventually it becomes a full. Now I'm going to break you down into the point where I have full control over you, because because through fear, through through psychological kind of uh, uh, manipulation and now it's now you're afraid to leave or you're you're fully indoctrinated to the point where you'd believe this thing out of fear out of promises out of hope uh whatever it is i mean and that's kind of magic right so yeah so like i so to be fully transparent with like witches scare the shit out of me uh like of all of the um, <laughs> supernatural entities, uh, we've we've actually done the witch on here, and I kind of talk about that. Um, but I, so I grew up with a bunch of ants. Okay, like I have I have uh, my mom, six aunts, and my grandmother were all you know. I was at their house every day, and I just I just went home for the first time. Um, this this past couple weeks ago, and I hung out with them, and I sat around a table with these women, and it was the weirdest feeling because I was so aware of the emotional connection with between everybody at the table, and I was like, "Whoa, I am one of you, late. Like I am one of these old ladies. Like I was like I." I feel them and and it was this it was so trippy because I'm a I'm a I'm a man, right? But like I'm the artist kid in the family, right? So it's like you know, I even made a joke like they were talking about when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? And I was like, let's be honest, I was never going to throw a football with my son, you know? <laughs> like I got some time. I got some time. So, but that being said, like I just, I'm aware. So something that affects me in this film is emotional energy is what eventually causes all things to move forward. Right. And, and, and emotional energy is created in every single environment of people. Right. Like there's no way you get some people together. They're not going to have an emotional like baseline of energy. So it's amazing what people can do when um, all of their emotional energy is focused in one direction, right? I mean, that's how things get accomplished. But women can do this like very powerfully. Like they can do this because they have 
because they have a wider emotional range than men, I think, just generally. And so, like, if a women can get on the same page to do something, it is a force. Um, and, but at the same time, that power is power. And power, power is complicated, you know? Like, power is, it, it can be very grotesque. And that's my piece. <laughs> I think I think you're hitting on something that I, I really wanted to discuss with you guys and see if you've ever had any experiences with this. Um, I think what we're describing is very cult cult like behavior um, and how how people, you know, everybody likes to think that they could never fall for a cold like I can never do that. But studies have shown everybody is susceptible to that kind of thing. They're like literally anybody could fall, could fall for it at any time. And like people think like, Oh, weak willed people or, or uneducated people are typically the ones who fall for that stuff. But actually it's the opposite. It's elite people who are elite to people who are financially strong, powerful. Cause that's who cults want people who have influence in their cult, <laughs> you know? So they go for the, the, the influential, the educated, the, the financial. And so I, I want to ask you guys, have you ever had experience with a cult like structure or something culty outside of like, of course I know Seth, you like compare like Apple. If you want to talk about Apple, you can, but like an actual, like what felt like potentially a cult. So like one of my biggest fears moving out here to LA was I was, that is that I would accidentally become a Scientologist. <laughs> uh, Cause we kind of joked about it earlier uh, with Seth made a little joke of like, you know, Scientology, like they have their own production company out here, you know, like before I knew that, what if I had like done one of their movies? Like, do they own me at that point? And that I didn't, didn't even know that I was signing up to be owned by, by, uh, a, what they think is a religion. <laughs> um, I don't know, but like, I, I was afraid. I remember Seth and I were walking down Hollywood, Hollywood Boulevard once and we walked by the Scientology building and they handed me a flyer and Seth's, Seth's like, yeah, he wants a flyer. He wants a flyer. And, and they gave me a pamphlet. I was like, Seth, I'm going to kill you. I don't want to be on these people's radar at all. Leave me alone. <laughs> and that was, he's, he's playing with me. I didn't like it. But, uh, outside of that, I think I've had an experience with like a cult type of personality, uh, that I'll get into a little bit later. But first I wanted to ask you guys, have you guys ever experienced any type of what you would you would think is very cult like behavior? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, so I I it depends on what you mean defined by you. Like I'm I, saying you know, what, what? How do you define it? Higher, like a, a group of people that believe they have higher knowledge or superior knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly if we're being frank, we're all kind of susceptible to cults right now. I mean, there's just like, who do you want to like, just pull out your phone, you know, like Mm. there's two, there's two algorithms that are cult leaders that are just pulling you at one direction or the other. And, you know, and it's dividing our society into basically two, two religions at this point. Um, so I don't like that. Um, but if I'm talking directly about my actual um, personal experience that isn't my phone, um, I would say, I mean, Apple is a part of that. They are very um, 
cult-like. They even have meetings on Sunday mornings, which is creepy. Um, and they'll have music and food and, and, uh, and, <laughs> and they, they even have their own language. Yeah. Okay. They, they have their own language, uh, that is approved speech for talking about work, um, work things, which I have a really big problem with because once you start limiting language, you start, you start limiting communication and free speech. So I dislike that uh, greatly. And they also monitor their employees. They give them free um, healthcare, but it's only through Apple approved doctors. So they, uh, they get all their genetic information, which I, I disagree with. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about improv because that I figured is, you might. That is probably the biggest cult I've ever been a part of. Uh, it is, I mean, it's dying uh, in a lot of ways. It's, it'll, it'll be back, but um, pandemic was really hard on the improv community. I love improvisation. Um, it's one of my favorite art, artist, artistic mediums. However, the way that the um, community is structured is screwed up. It's mm. because it's, um, it has to make money, but it has these like pillars of philosophy that contradict uh, capitalism or contradict profit, um, which is like, everyone's a genius. Yes. And like, um, be in the moment. You don't go for the joke. Like all of these things, which, which if you do them, you will actually become a really good improviser over time, but that's not what sells tickets being funny and marketable and cool and PC and all these things, that's what sells tickets. So that community becomes like very, very clicky. Um, and the teachers kind of all know what's going on, but they don't ever tell you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you work your whole life to become like, it's just like, it's just like a higher, like you take these classes that's supposed to give you more knowledge and then you get to the top of the classes and then the gatekeepers decide who is the good ones amongst you. And then you go into the next tier, which is like now you're teaching or you're on the main stage. So it's just like always more gatekeepers, always more money you have to be giving them. And there's always something more magic to learn about the improv world. And uh, mm. though I love doing it, I, I disagree with how it's um, set up. And I mean, and even like, there's gurus, you know, like, mm. like, uh, Del Close was one. I mean, a good friend of mine, Mick Napier is one of these gurus. And I don't even think he wants to be one. Like, I don't think he like ever intended on that. Um, mm. but he kind of is the man in charge and he's kind of just become this like spiritual leader for all of these people that want to do comedy and, uh, and had written Bibles. He's written books on how to do it. And so it's become like, it's become religious. It's a, it's a, a godless religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and, and similarly, I've delved into that world of improv with you in a lot of different ways. And you're right there. There's it is a structure that you're right. Inherently wants to make money and has to make money in order to, it's an art. It is an art firm for sure, but it's also a business. It's how certain people make their living. Right. And so that you're right. There is a, a, clashing dichotomy between which is the same in Suspiria, right? Like, which yeah. is the same, like maintaining the integrity of the, uh, 
of the coven versus getting material wealth and mm -hmm. accruing power, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, I definitely have delved in that world with you. And, and similarly, I'm, I'm going to compare this to another experience I had here in Los Angeles. Um, like I said, there are ways that the cults get members, or at least these are ways that people manipulate people into like following them, right? Into to believing in them, to putting their faith in them, to allowing giving your power over to them. Um, and I think a lot of people when they hear cult think religious, and that's not necessarily the case. Uh, you know, a cult can be doesn't have to be religious. A lot of times they they'll use religion as a way of control. Uh, you know, some some kind of apocalypse. I mean. Uh, you know, using that as fear. Um, those are all ways of controlling people, but um, not all cults are religious. So when I first moved here to LA, um, something they tell you to do as if you as an upcoming actor and somebody pursuing an acting career, take classes, take acting classes, you know, like always be learning, always be growing. Like it looks good to casting directors and to agents and to managers. If you're in classes, right. It just looks good. So, I got here in December of 2017 by December, by January of 2018, I was in an acting class in uh, San Pedro uh, for a theater company. Uh, I auditioned for their shows and I, I didn't, I didn't get cast, but the, the, uh, the theater uh, artistic director, that's what I'm looking for. The artistic director who was running the auditions did this thing where he made me feel talented. He made me feel special. You know, he stops during the audition and he's like, I, he does this thing. And he, apparently he does this with everybody where he like says like, you know, I see your value. I see your talent. I see your heart. And like, he like, you know, he does all this thing where he built me up, made me feel really good. I didn't get cast in their shows, but he's like, but I, I teach a conservatory class. Um, if you want to do that. And then the conservatory class gets to understudy the shows and uh, they get to do their own. They get a single performance to themselves. So you would get you would get to do the show, you, you know. It's two shows. It was two shows I'd get to do, um, and it would be an acting class, which is like something I was looking for anyway. Um, and at that time, I just moved to LA, hadn't even been there a full month yet. I didn't have any friends other than Seth, really. Um, I knew nobody here, so I was looking for to meet people. So I joined this acting conservatory, uh, and after everybody that was there had gone gone through very similar stuff in the, as far as like the way he had like made us feel like we were talented and that we just needed a little bit of guidance and that he can provide that guidance. And, you know, as a, a member of the company, like you could like produce your own works here. Like maybe you could like shoot a short film here. Maybe you could, you know, direct something here. Maybe you could produce one of your plays that you write here. Like he like promised a whole like artistic community basically. And then during the acting class, it became very clear that, it was all driven by ego. And so very quickly he would just start to tear people down, just completely rip people to shit and like call people out in like very personal and like very like vulnerable ways. Um, and I saw him do this over and over and over again. And luckily I, my bullshit meter was up though. I, I, I guess I just didn't let my guard down enough to like really be fully manipulated by this dude. Um, like other people were, he, eviscerated people on a daily basis and he never did that to me um and i don't know if that was like a form of him like trying to make me feel special like he didn't have to do that to me like so like maybe he was playing to my ego in that way but he never tore me down like he did other people um 
And uh, long story short, that guy is a narcissist. He's not a good person. And he was running that company in a way that was culty. It was very cultish. He was trying to get people to basically buy into his philosophy of life, buy into his philosophy of acting, and basically be cogs in his theater company machine that he could use however he wants. And it was gross. It was disgusting. He was not a good person. And it wasn't until I, a few months after I he kicked me out of the company in a weird way, um, there was a division between the director of the show I was in and and him. And he basically was like, I'm cutting off your run of your show. And they were like, okay, we're going to go put it up somewhere else. And he's like, if you go with them and go continue the show, you can't stay in this company. And I, you know, basically he was splitting up my friend group, my, my only friend group in LA. He was splitting us up. He was like, okay, if you go with them, you can't be here. And if you stay here, you can't go with them. So like, he's like, okay, choose between your friends now. <laughs> and I, I, and I, I tried to confide in him at that point where I was like, this is a really hard decision for me to make to just basically like choose which friend group I'm swearing off, you know? And, and he goes, well, if it's hard for you, then you should just get out. And, and he basically kicked me out. Um, and I didn't realize so months later how much he had like affected me, how he like traumatized me in a way. Luckily, not in the way he did other people, but in a different way. Um, and talking to a, a, you know, my I met my roommate during during that time. He was also part of that company in a different way, and so like and some really good other good friends of mine that I'm still friends with to this day. I met there, so I'm I'm not grateful for the experience, but I am glad that I met those people at that time. I was talking to one of them not too long ago, and she's like, "Yeah, we were." He tried to bring us into a cult, like that's what he he was trying to do. He didn't do it successfully because the company fell apart because people saw through his stuff. But like, that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to get us to follow him as if he's some kind of acting genius uh, and that he knows the way yeah. to success and he knows the way to live a happy life. And if, as long as we're with him, we'll be, we'll be good to go, you know? And it, it was really manipulative. And I, I see that in this movie too, with like, as soon as Susie gets to this, this dance company, how you're amazing. You, you, you have no training and yet, yet we're, and you didn't even have an actual audition. Not really. Like we didn't invite you. You just showed up. <laughs> um, and you, and you're in, you're amazing. And then now you're the lead in the production. And then now you're going to be this vessel for the, you know, they keep building Susie up and then at moments will tear her, you know, take her down, take her down a peg, take her down a peg, take her down a peg. Um, uh, but all to the, what they they want for her, not for her. It's not for her. It's to her detriment. It's what they're yeah. manipulating her to get out of her. That, that's I think that's my only problem with the idea that she it has been Suspirium from the beginning, is because it's it's like is she embracing power or are they corrupting her? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So so therefore. So I, this scares the shit out of me because therefore to embrace power, you have to lose yourself. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that statement. Well, to me, I think she was playing the long game in my, I think she was there the whole time. Like Suspirium was there the whole time. I, I relate to this. I, I, I relate to this. Like I am terrified of my own power. I am mm. horrified of it because I'm scared. If I embrace it, I'll become a monster. 
like my, my joke, I've said this to Dane for years is like every day I wake up fighting the monster the world wants me to be, you know? And, and, and so like, but I, I, you know, I'm a cis white male who has power, but I'm horrified of it, you know? And so like, I don't like that. I don't, I don't, I, I don't like, if that's the statement, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> To put your mind at ease about like the power that you hold and power within, like I think this movie does a really good job in showing that like this the the 2018 one, the 2018 version is way more optimistic than the original 1977 version. In that, in that, Suspirium comes in and like shows mercy to to a lot of people in that scene. Sure brings a lot of destruction like you said like destruction power and destruction go hand in hand a little bit but shows mercy to the three innocent young girls patricia uh sarah and olga shows them mercy shows tanner mercy shows clumper mercy and apologizes to him frees him from his shame and guilt and the movie ends or at least before like the uh before the little post credit scene the movie ends on an image of Klumper's heart that he drew in with his wife into their house. You know, the little heart post on the post. So there's like love there. This movie definitely is like, there's a love and there's a peace in that yeah, power. That, that's the complexity. There's that's the complexity that this movie, the, the 2018, it, it shows the power of motherly love within the grotesqueness of corruption mm -hmm. so like your mom and i think if you have a mom uh you know like you have this weird, weird these weird emotions towards your mother which are like she loves you but she drives you crazy mm -hmm. you know she can she can be the one to like take you to zero uh faster than anybody she can say something that just like slices to your core but at the same time, like she's your mom and she mm. can also comfort you better than anybody. So it's like the duality of that. Yeah. Um, I know we've gone a long time. We've had some mm. technical difficulties. Um, I still have a lot of emotions about this movie uh, that I, I don't know. I don't. I well, don't really, this is, this is two movies. So there's a lot yeah. to talk about. So, but I agree, Seth. We are going a little bit long today. We had some technical difficulties, but don't worry. But I think that's a good place to end with like, like you're right. This complexity of like motherly love. Dane, thank you so much for bringing these two movies to us. We really have really enjoyed talking with them about you, but just like seeing them and experiencing them together. Um, thank you so much for that. Thank um, you. Yeah, that man. was, <laughs> that was our discussion of Suspiria. Uh, all those this listening at be, home. This might but, be the longest episode we've done. Yeah, well, combination of factors, but yes, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I mean, there was um, there was some witch there was some witchcraft in the technical difficulties and things like that, but uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it. Out. Uh, but yes, thank you so much, Dane, and for all you watching out there. Um, uh, what did you think of Suspiria? Please share your thoughts, your your feelings, uh, what it makes you think of uh, both the seventy seven and the twenty eighteen versions. Um, it is time for us to talk about what's next. 
Hey everybody, this is Ricardo from the future. We were supposed to have Nate Stevenson on the podcast next week to discuss the thing, but unfortunately, due to some scheduling conflicts, Nate was unable to record with us. Don't worry, we're going to reschedule him. But in the meantime, we are going to push forward on our production schedule, and it was Seth's turn to pick, and Seth has chosen 2014's Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. If you want to watch along with us, you can find that movie on Google Play Movies, Apple TV, Vudu, Amazon Prime Video, and YouTube. Thank you so much for your patience. Now let's get back to the episode. Uh, so thank you, Dane, for being here, taking the time. I know this was a long one, so thank you for your patience and your understanding. Um, uh, Seth, go ahead and shout yourself out, buddy. Uh, as always, you can find me at the Birdie Word on Twitter and Seth Adam Crow on Instagram. And you know, I've collected some really like a few really good podcasts. <laughs> I've done like seven, and I haven't done more, and I need to do more. But uh, it's uh, the Crowcast. That's the, and then Crowcast, C-R-O-W-E-C-A-S-T, one word, uh, on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, and, you know, they're they're simmering. They're all just simmering in that. They're simmering, yes. They're re- becoming like a, a reduction. In- <laughs> Ooh, going to have like a little glaze, a little Crowcast glaze yeah. going on. Yeah, and then I'll... We'll, you know, we'll add the reduction to more as soon as I get the balls. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And I am Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me on my personal profiles on TikTok and Instagram at Ricardo Blade Diaz. That is just like my name is spelled. Uh, and you can find Seth and I on our Dungeons and Dragons show, uh, Character Player, which you can find on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, and YouTube, and Twitch. Uh, we are in the Misfits of the Multiverse campaign right now. Uh, it's very fun. So if you're a D&D person, uh, come check us out in there because it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, and of course, if you want to follow this podcast in general, we are uh, uh, at the What's It About podcast on Instagram. We post links to every episode there. You can find our episodes on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts every Friday morning. Uh, so just keep an eye out for that. Please subscribe. Let us know what movies you guys might want us to do in the future. Interact. We'd love to hear from you all. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you again next time. See ya. Adios.